0: everybody. Welcome to Hiring to Firing, the podcast. I'm Tracy Diamond. I'm here with my co-host, Evan Gibbs. We're both labor and employment lawyers at Troutman Pepper, and we handle all human resources and crazy employment issues as they arise. Today, we're here to talk about Emily in Paris and national origin discrimination. And here with us is our guest, Kate Puccio, who is VP of People, and Deputy General Counsel at EMR USA Metal Recycling, which is a U.S. arm of European Metal Recycling, a world leader in scrap metal recycling. EMR USA operates in 13 states in the U.S. and has approximately 1,500 employees. The U.S. headquarters, which is located in Camden, New Jersey, has had a presence for over 100 years. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. We would like to talk today about Emily in Paris, a series on Netflix which follows Emily, a driven 20-something American from Chicago who moves to Paris for an unexpected job opportunity. She is tasked with bringing an American point of view to a venerable French marketing firm. Cultures clash as she adjusts to the challenges of life in Paris while juggling her career. New friendships and love life. She has many clashes with her supervisor, Sylvie. Sylvie often makes comments about Emily's Americanness, which she considers to be a euphemism for lack of sophistication and lack of luxury, and makes her unsuitable for working with clients of luxury brands. Here is an example of an, an exchange between Sylvie and Emily where Sylvie complains about Emily's Americanness, which she perceives to be euphemism for her lack of sophistication. We work with very exclusive brands, and they require mystery, and (laughs) you have no mystery. And here is another example. You're the enemy of luxury because luxury is defined by sophistication and taste, not by Emily in Paris. Assuming Emily was in America, and we were calling this Emily in America, Would this be the basis for national origin discrimination? So let's start with what the standard for national origin discrimination and harassment claims really is. Evan, can you start us up with the standard?
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, it's, you know, making a hiring or firing or, you know, any other decision about somebody's terms and conditions of their employment based on somebody's national origin. It's pretty straightforward.
0: When we talk about national origin, what are we really talking about here?
1: It's where you're from. It's the country where you either immigrated from or where you were born. Yeah, it's it's any of those things.
0: Would national origins sometimes be sort of intermixed with race, or are they separate concepts?
1: A lot of times it can be hard to sort of separate the two out if you've got someone um, who's from another country and and also of another race from the decision maker, you know that's what you always look at is sort of the the difference between the decision maker and you know the person uh, the employee and that's at issue. It can a lot of times be very hard to separate the two out and so you know we see a lot of times in lawsuits we see these claims together um, because you know they don't have to a plaintiff in a lawsuit or. A claimant with a charge with the EOC, they don't have to sort of separate it out it's our job as defense lawyers to separate that out so yeah we see them brought together a lot of the time
0: kate what do you think if this was emily in america rather than emily in paris would sylvie's comments to emily be considered discrimination
2: i think when you look at the whole picture it's certainly possible right so we know that national origin discrimination it excludes things like simple teasing, offhand comments, or isolated incidents. But I think when you look at the whole series and how she's being treated, I think it's a plaintiff's lawyer would certainly say she had a claim.
0: (laughs) You know, Emily often sort of shrugs off the comments when Sylvie makes them and just moves on. What should she be doing differently if she's offended by them?
2: I can speak about our company. At our company, what I would like to see is that employee reaching out. Um, whether it's to another supervisor or ideally to HR to say that comments are being made and they're uncomfortable with them and, and how can we help?
0: If an employee doesn't reach out, doesn't go to HR, let's say because they're uncomfortable doing that or they just haven't done it for some reason, Evan, what do you think? Could that be a defense to a claim of national origin discrimination or national origin harassment?
1: I mean, it, it certainly cuts against the strength of their claim for sure, you know. And what well, you know, look, the reality is what I always see is, you know, this this doesn't get brought up until the employee's got ten pages of notes, and, and you've got, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, this sort of long litany of you know grievances that is you know piled up over the years, or you know, you go <laughs> you go to the supervisor, and lo and behold, the supervisor's got you know a a, a folder full of you know, discussions and things that they've had with the employee and, and in there, like, you know, I can't understand their accent. I I typically see something like that. I mean, it is rare. It is, I mean, it is, frankly, I have never had a situation where it works like we want it to work in the employee handbook, you know, where you're like, you know, please reach out to HR if you have a problem. I mean, usually there's, you know, there's a bunch of text messages first and then, yes. you know, you've got, and then some emails. And so usually you've got some stuff in writing, you know, that we're dealing with, you know, and that's certain. we always tell people, get people to go to HR. But I've found that employees a lot of times are terrified to get HR involved because they assume that they're going to get fired, you know, or, or, you know, demoted or whatever, because they're, you know, they've made a complaint about their supervisor. And so, you know, I think that's a an issue maybe, Kate, is, you know, culture around, mm-hmm. of taking these complaints seriously. Is that something that you've seen, that you've dealt with sort of creating a culture? For sure.
2: We definitely have to work hard, and not just us, but all employers. You have to create a culture where HR is seen as not just management, where it's really seen as an ally and a facilitator to both sides. But we definitely hear from employees, oh, I didn't want to get HR involved. I didn't want to get so-and-so in trouble. It really wasn't a big deal. And then that's where I see it's I look at the supervisor, right? Because inevitably if someone is making comments like this, they're witnessed by someone else. And that's where we try to have a culture of, you know, kind of the see something, say something. It's it's cliche, but enforcing policies only works if we're looking out for each other.
0: Kate, how do you handle the fact that HR plays this sort of game between Being the enforcer of the rules and sometimes coming down on employees, whether it's disciplining or terminating them, but also wanting to be the ally of the employees Mm -hmm. and being the sort of open door where employees should be coming to them when they have complaints. It's a fine line.
2: I would agree with you. And I think it's really having a commitment to fairness and transparency and being honest with the employees. Because there's always a resolution to an issue that doesn't necessarily mean that the employee likes the resolution, but we always find that things tend to go better if we're open and honest from the beginning about what we can and can't do, about what can and cannot remain private, and the limitations on both sides. And we find, or I've found that that helps. And of course, the employees always remain skeptical, right? They always think you're, they're, you're never really on their side.
1: You get a lot of the issues from employees. You'll get a complaint or something like that, where it goes to HR to the supervisor, and there's, there's like this request for confidentiality. You know, they'll go to HR and say, I want to, I want to, complain to you about but this. Don't
0: tell you know. anybody. Yeah,
1: right? this person's complaining about my accent, but don't tell my boss. I just wanted you to know. Please don't tell him. Do You run into that issue a lot.
2: Yes. We'll go. I-, I just wanted to talk to you about it, but I don't want you to do anything about it. Yes. And then we have to have the conversation of we have an obligation to do something about it. And we can talk about there can be five different ways to resolve something, something from, you know, the most intervention to the most conservative. And sometimes we'll talk about those with the employees and try to make them feel comfortable with the decision. Because what we don't want to do is alienate someone who it was probably very hard for them to come to HR in the first place.
0: It's a tough one. You know, I when I was in HR and people would come to me and they used to call my office, the complaint department, you know, and they would come mm-hmm. in and they would tell me their complaint, often in great detail over a very long period of time. And then they would say, but don't tell anybody. And I would always say, well... It was important enough for you to come to me. It's my job to do something about it. If I don't do something about it, then I can't do my job. And clearly it was important to you because you felt the need to tell me about it, so you need to let me do my job. But it is tough, for sure. One of the fun things about watching Emily in Paris is the fantastic clothing. And I believe that in one of the early episodes, Sylvie comments on Emily's poor clothing choices as an example of her not trying to fit in. Emily, of course, then dresses to the nines, despite who knows what clothing budget she must have. It made me think a lot about uniform policies and employees' choice of clothing in the context of national origin discrimination. Clearly, sometimes cultures have different clothing choices and companies need to respect that. What are your thoughts on uniform policies in the workplace and how do you avoid national origin discrimination claims in that world?
2: So I can talk about us. In many of our facilities, we have uniforms that the employees are required to wear. We consider the uniform to be part of their PPE, their personal protective equipment, depending on the different aspect of it. But we do have to be careful that the uniform doesn't interfere with, I don't know, say someone had a particular cultural item of clothing that they needed to wear, and I I know we're not talking about religious discrimination, but there are many religious items of clothing that people wear as, as part of their religious practice. So we need to be careful when we're setting policies that we're able to accommodate those variations. And we also have dress codes, which I think are actually more difficult than a uniform because there's so much gray in a dress code which I sort of think is what Sylvie was getting at. She inarticulately expressed that there are branding standards and a clothing style that they expect people working in a PR world to adhere to. And we have dress codes, they're certainly not to that degree, but you definitely need to be flexible and be willing to live in the gray. Sure, I would
0: think so. How does perception factor into all this? In other words, if Emily was really Canadian, but Sylvie made snide comments about her being American. Would Emily have a claim for national origin discrimination? Evan, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all about context in these cases. And, and, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, you know, if there are enough comments, you know, and I'll say for the record, I mean, I think the comments we saw in the clips are, you know, they wouldn't give rise. They're not They're not of, of severe enough nature, you know, to sort of constitute— national origin discrimination, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. and even if those sort of comments were made on a pretty routine basis, I I still feel like she'd have a hard time with a claim under U.S. law. But let's just assume that it was worse than in the clips and that, you know, it was either, you know, really severe or pervasive enough that it— Actually, I want to stop
0: you there because I don't know if I agree with that. You know, definitely not severe, but is it pervasive if it happened routinely?
1: Well, I'll tell you in the 11th circuit where I'm at in the deep <laughs> south. Uh, it's not going to fly, I'll just tell you. It is a I mean there are, I've read some cases out of Alabama and and Georgia and it is a really really high bar to set. I mean I have read some cases and just been blown away. Like, oh my god, I cannot believe that a, as a defense lawyer, I've read cases and like I cannot believe that the judge didn't find this pervasive enough, you know? I mean, I feel like in the South, if you're not huddled in a corner crying, then it's just (laughs) not gonna, you're not gonna get a claim, you know?
0: Well, that's really interesting, because I think you're gonna see very different results in different parts of the country. In the Ninth Circuit, I think there's much easier to prove that this would be pervasive, if not severe. In California state court, again, even that much easier to prove, Uh, probably true in some of the other state courts as well. So that's that's something to keep in mind, right, depending on where you are within the country itself, like so much else about everything in our country these days.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think but I, I mean, to your point, I think she'd have a maybe a tougher time maybe if she was, you know, Canadian. I mean, you know, it just depends on, you know, how she related the comments about her appearance and her dress to to expressly to her being an American. I think that to me is sort of the hook. Is if she just is constantly, you know, ragging on her clothes and, you know, telling her she, you know, looks sloppy, you know, in a French accent, then I mean maybe that's to me not enough. But if she's saying, "Oh my God, you're such a disgusting American. We cannot tolerate uh, these, these American <laughs> clothes," you know, I mean it's that's a terrible French accent, I know. But... <laughs> You know, I think that is sort of the hook. You know, I think if there's a, I think there would need to be sort of an express reference to her country of origin, you know, to sort of get her across that line.
0: What do you think, Kate?
2: I think it's a little more blurry. You, you know, I think perhaps the Canadian-American distinction is is not a lot, but where perhaps in the United States, if someone just generically referred to you as Middle Eastern or Asian, um, and you weren't. Or they picked a specific country and they assigned it to you and, and you actually weren't from that country. I think there may be a claim there because it, 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 but again, I think it depends on how severe the conduct is and whether the person to whom it's directed has made known, you're making these comments, I'm not from that country or I'm not from that place or my accent, it, it's not the same.
0: Why don't you add, let's make it an easier case. What if you add in that the person got um, treated differently in terms of being excluded from meetings or having their pay affected or even being disciplined because of the perception that they're from a certain country, even if they're not from that country?
2: Right. I definitely think that there would be a claim there because it doesn't matter if it's not true. They're getting treated differently because of the perception. And that's what's important.
0: Sure. So in the show, Emily's boyfriend is British uh, in the second season. If Sylvie made anti-British comments to Emily, would that give rise to a claim for national origin discrimination?
1: So I don't think so. In my opinion, no. I mean, I think I had a case one time where it was, and I, I can't remember what the the legal term of art is like an associational discrimination claim where it was you're discriminated against discriminating against me based on and I think the one I had was a race case. I think it was, you know, you're discriminating against me based on the race of my spouse or significant other. And at least in 11th Circuit, if I recall correctly—now, look, again, this podcast is not legal advice, so no, so no one take this as gospel. <laughs> but I recall that the law is that that's not really—that's not a claim, so, you know, a claim, sort of a derivative claim of, you know, someone that you're associated with. I don't know that that's actionable. And That might uh,
0: depend on the jurisdiction you're in, because I believe that in certain areas—I'm not sure if it's under Title VII— or if it's just under state law, there is such a claim for associational discrimination in the national origin world.
2: So I think, Tracy, your question was, if Sylvie had made anti-British comments, does that give rise to a claim for Emily? I don't think anti-British comments alone does. But if Sylvie starts saying things, uh, much more serious things about Emily's association with a British person and starts taking negative action against her, then I think potentially a claim or and I think the race example that that's a easier claim if you worked in a company where you you had a spouse of a different race and they started treating you differently or excluding you or not promoting you because of the the race of your spouse or the so where there's an adverse
0: job spouse. action, it's a clearer cut case for sure. Uh, because of so. your association with someone of a protected category?
2: I think so. I still think it's a very it's a more difficult case because it's not about you, it's about a third party who the third party wouldn't have a claim.
0: It's, it's about your relationship with that third party who is in right. the protected category rather than about your protected category per se. Right. So what are some real life examples that we're seeing lately of national origin discrimination or national origin harassment?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I think we're about to see a lot for um, individuals from Russia. You know, mm-hmm. to take something out of the headlines happening right now. I was, I read a article somewhere talking about, you know, there were fears among Russian immigrant communities here in the U.S. that, you know, they would be, you know, unfairly targeted, and I think that's a probably a pretty real concern. I, I would certainly be nervous. I think so. I think that's a that's an area where. You know, I we think could,
2: too. I think so as well, especially because—and I think that's a good example of perception as well—because in Eastern Europe, there are many non-Russians who speak Russian. And there are a lot of people who may have been born in Russia but are not ethnic Russians. And there are a lot of people who are born in other countries but are ethnic Russians. So I think that will certainly be interesting. Uh, Another example i think we've all seen in the news that asian american and asian hate crimes are on the rise in the us so i definitely think that's uh, and have been since the pandemic started
1: yeah and i would say i think you know especially over the last you know several years you know with like the the beginning of the pandemic i feel like there's been more of an emphasis on you know individuals of, of chinese origin mm-hmm. You know, there was there's you know sort of a lot of rhetoric around the virus you know especially when it was first um you know pandemic first started there was a lot of rhetoric around china and you know the origins of the virus and i have a relative who is a chinese immigrant and you know she did not report having any you know negative interactions around it but we were certainly concerned for her during the pandemic especially in the early stages
0: so kate as an employer How do you handle where there's a potential for targeted, you know, groups to be targeted because of what's going on in the news? You know, the rise in the coronavirus leading to anti-Asian sentiments, the Russian invasion of Ukraine potentially adding to anti-Russian sentiments. How do you, as an employer, handle that or protect against it happening in the first place?
2: So I think protect against it happening in the first place. You know, you do your diversity and inclusion training. We do a lot of considerate communication training, which is, you know, it's a basic seminar about how to talk to people and how to talk to people when you have disagreements or how to talk to people who are different from you. And then I, I think, again, we rely a lot on our supervisors to be proactive. They know their staff. They know the people who've been working there for 20 years. They know where the pressure points are. And they look out for their people. I think it's about being proactive, but also listening and being able to support people and intervene when necessary.
0: Well, I think that's a really good place for us to wrap up. I want to give a great thank you to Kate Puccio for joining us today. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening in. Stay tuned for our next episode of Hiring to Firing the podcast. Copyright Troutman Pepper Hamilton Sanders, LLP. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast is not legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. Troutman Pepper does not make any representations or warranties express or implied regarding the contents of this podcast. Information on previous case results does not guarantee a similar future result. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, Transmission or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written
2: permission of Troutman Pepper. If you have any questions, please contact us at Troutman.com.